What is up, Citizens Youth? How we doing? Hello. How's life going? Pretty good? Yeah? All right, I need everyone to do this for me. I need everybody in the room to take their phone. I know you have one. I do. Take your phone. Hold it in your hand. Let me see it if you have a phone. If you don't, that's great. All right. Now put your phone on the ground facing, no, not on your lap, on the ground, the floor. Laps don't count. Floor counts. Phone down. And I'd like you to do this other thing real quick. If you could grab your Bible. If you don't have it, there should be one in the seat in front of you. And go ahead and open up to Psalm 107. It should be somewhere right in the middle of the Bible. If you just go right down the middle and then open it, you should land somewhere close to Psalm 107. And we're continuing on in our series called Steadfast. Take a deep breath for me. And then breathe out. Super glad that you guys are here tonight. Uh, If it's your first time, welcome. This is a place where we gather every single night, 6th through 12th grade. We're called Citizens Youth. If it's your first time, I'm super glad you joined us. Uh, Make sure you get checked in with Keem. He is at the welcome stand. And if it's not your first time, if you've been here a million, a billion times, I am super excited for the conference coming up. Uh, We joke about it. We laugh about it. We say there's going to be crazy things like laser tag and karaoke and escape rooms because there are going to be all those things right here in this building. Um, But the thing that's going to happen in in that weekend is the church is going to do what we just sang about. We sang that new song, which means Christ be magnified. We're going to read tonight about what does it mean to be thankful and to praise the Lord and to worship the Lord. We are magnifying the Lord together. Every so often, there just needs to be weekends or times or seasons in our life where we can just get away from the noise, from the confusion, from the regular day-to-day life, and just worship together and be together and listen to God's word together to say, Christ be magnified. And that's the whole mission of everything. That's the passion and the heart behind why we even called it everything, because we believe that there are so many things that are vying for your attention, mostly on your phones, right? Mostly with your friend groups. There are things that you're searching for, looking for. But at the end of the day, the only thing that will truly satisfy, the only thing that will truly make a lasting impact in your life is Jesus. And it's so moving beyond those distractions to hold up Jesus and say, Jesus, you are everything. You are everything and you deserve everything and I give you everything. And so that's what the whole mission of everything is. That's why we called it that. That's why we're uh, hosting it here and inviting other students because we believe that this is something that the world desperately needs to hear. So if you've been here a few times, a million times, um, I promise you it is going to be amazing. It's going to be a brilliant, amazing, fun time uh, to gather together and to be the church. Um, So yeah, that's is coming up, and I cannot stop talking about it. Psalm 107, we are in the middle of a new series called Steadfast, where we are going through this whole psalm. It's one of the biggest psalms in Scripture, and it's also a pretty re- repetitive psalm, if uh, you haven't noticed already. There's a few times in here uh, where the exact same uh, verse is repeated again. Verses uh, 10 and verses uh, 23 are repeated. Verses 31 and verses 15 are repeated. Uh, you know, verses 6 and verses 13 are repeated. There's all this repetition that flows throughout this psalm. And the basic structure of it is this. Number one, there's a problem. Number one, there's a problem. Last week, verse 4 said, some wandered in desert wastes. 
Today we're going to see some sat in darkness. As we go throughout it, there's number one, there's a problem. Some people are blank. Then the second progression is the people in the midst of their problem cry out to the Lord. And then three, the people who have been rescued from their problem respond with praise. That is the constant cycle throughout this psalm. And the reason we call it steadfast is because it's repeated in scripture, right? It's repeated in this passage. Though we are uh, confused, though we go astray, though we are uh, not who we should be often, the thing that constantly is the same often in this cycle is the steadfast love of the Lord. Our hearts long for something that doesn't change. Our, you know, our lives need something that we can cling on to, hold on to. And there'll be so many things in your life that you want to hold on to, you want to keep close to you. And all of a sudden it changes or all of a sudden it moves. All of a sudden it uh, comes to betray you. But the one thing that will never trade, change or fade or uh, alter in any sense is the Lord and most specifically his steadfast love for you and his people. So in this repetition, I got to be thinking that this is just like human beings. This is just like the grand narrative of scripture. You know, I've, saw, I've said it before plenty of times that the Bible is not just a book of rules, right? If you wake up in the morning and you think, okay, like uh, I need to, um, you know, I need to go to a checked box. I need to go look in scripture and find a checklist of things I need to do today. Brush my teeth, wash my hair, do this or that, go to this school, apply for this college, right? The Bible's not specifically like that. The Bible is actually a narrative. There's plenty of, there's this progression. There's this story of God desiring to dwell with his people, to be near to his people, to draw his people closer and closer to him and to reconcile things that are broken. And there's a cycle that happens in scripture. Specifically, we see it a lot in the Old Testament where God makes himself known to a group of people. They choose to rebel. They recognize their errors. They turn to the Lord and the Lord rescues over and over and over again. And the grand narrative of scripture would say that there needed to be a rescuer. God reconciled his people through the Old Testament, but there still needed to be someone who saved us from ourselves, from our own sinfulness. Jesus would come to be that person. And those who put their faith and trust in him have everlasting life and salvation through him. And I don't know where you are in this story right now. I promise you that tonight's passage, there's a clear call to two things. There's a call uh, to recognize rebellion and to repent. To recognize rebellion and to repent. I want you to look down at this passage with me starting in verse 10. I'm going to read it out loud for us. Verse 10 says this, Some sat in darkness, in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with no one to help, and they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works in the children of man. For he shatters the doors with bronze and he cuts into the bars of iron. 
in our story against sin, in our story, in our struggle against the flesh and the things of this world, we serve a God whose steadfast love is far more powerful than any rebellion you'll fa- you'll, you will face. It's far more powerful than any sin that you will wrestle with. It is a love that will bind you, it will captivate you, it will hold you close. It's a love that you and I need so desperately. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for uh, this truth represented in Psalm 107. I pray that we would draw close to you in this time, that we would listen, that we would uh, put away distractions. We would stop thinking about whatever it is that's distracting us and taking our eyes off of you, and we would recognize the truth of this passage. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God. So in the beginning of the story here, we find somebody, a group of people, a person trapped in affliction. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. Irons, it's uh, used throughout the Old Testament specifically to represent some sort of bondage, some sort of pain, some sort of uh, uh, difficulty. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, it says that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, and he calls Egypt an iron fire, a, a place where it was this iron stove that was so hot, it was a place of affliction, it was a, fl- a place of pain. And it says that the Lord took his people away from it. So iron represents some sort of affliction, some sort of pain. Obviously here, uh, the darkness represents lack of understanding, lack of uh, direction, lack of not knowing where to go, not knowing where to turn. And of course, we have to ask ourselves, well, what's the sin here? What's the problem? In our lives, we look at a passage like this. And if you're a Christian in the room, you and I know that at one point in our lives, we were all found in this spot. We were all born into something called sin. In the cycle against sin, us uh, rebelling against God, all of us are born in a spot where we are separated from mankind. Or mankind is separated, of course, from God. But what is the specific sin? Why are we stuck in this affliction? Why is there some sort of uh, shadow of death looming over this person? Verse 11 says this, for they had rebelled against the words of God and they spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. Number one, rebelled, rebellion against God's word. To rebel against something is to willingly understand what the right thing to do is and choosing to do the opposite of that good thing. It's not accidentally, it's not just like, oh, I wonder if this is bad. No, an active rebellion is to know and to be uh, aware of and to be uh, understanding that there is a good and perfect way and to choose to do something else. To, uh, you know, that next word there, uh, to, to reject the counsel of the Most High God, to eliminate the uh, connection to the Most High God, to ignore the counsel of the Most High God. This is why this person is facing some sort of affliction. This is why this person is facing some sort of death. That Hebrew word there for scorn, uh, it's also translated uh, to mean disrespect, It means discard, refuse, reject, treat as worthless, or to completely throw away. 
So in the beginning here, we find ourselves in a difficult situation. We see uh, in these first passages, verses 10 through 12, that rebellion leads to bondage. Rebellion leads to bondage. This is, of course, a reference here in the very beginning to the initial sin in the garden. If you are not familiar with the grand narrative of Scripture, then in the very, very, very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He creates mankind in his image, a perfect unity between God and man, and mankind chose to sin. Mankind chose to reject the words of God. God gave specific commandments to not eat of this specific tree, Mankind was deceived, and they chose to sin anyway, and so now they found themselves separated from God. And of course, uh, that initial sin is pridefulness, thinking that they know better, that they can understand better. It's a rebellion against the words of God, and it's also completely rejecting the counsel of God. And that doesn't lead them to anywhere good. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor, and now, of course, they did this, and they are stuck in what it says here, the shadow of death in affliction and in irons. When we rebel against God, when we choose not to follow the things that God has said and placed out before us in his word, not only are we rejecting his authority, we are rejecting his presence. We're rejecting his, what it says here, counsel. You see, in the very beginning, God desired to dwell with his people. And that's always something that he wants to do. Counsel, it's to have friendship, connection, community, walking through life with God. But when we reject his words, it's not just saying, okay, God, I, I, I like you, but I don't like what you said for me to do. No, it's completely rejecting the counsel of God. And unfortunately, we live in a world that may want the love and the counsel and the connection to a perfect and holy God, but they refuse his words. And oftentimes we find ourselves like that. God, I want you. I want your peace, love, and comfort. But what you told me to do, your words, I don't know. That's pretty tough. But here it says there's a complete connection here. They rebelled against God and they rejected the counsel of the Most High. So many people think, and I hear this often in Christianity, like God is perfect, he's awesome. He has a few rules, but you get over it, right? Like if you're trying to evangelize to your friends. But the reality is that God's word is his instructions and it's directly connected to him and his character. His words are guidance for you so that you would avoid things that are wrong. His words are guidance for you so that you would avoid things that will bring you destruction. His words are guidance and light and direction for you so that you would know the things that are only going to bring you harm. And here in the first two verses, we see rebellion against that that leads to bondage. Rejecting the words of God is also rejecting the very presence of God, the counsel of God, the community, the connectedness to God. Verse 12 shows us that there are always consequences to our sin. So because of this rebellion, we see, so he bowed their hearts down with hard, la hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Some people might read that passage and think, man, that's pretty harsh, right? So God is the one that's subjecting us to this spot in the darkness. God's the one subjecting us to hard labor. Is that what that scripture is saying? I'll say this. There's always consequences to your and I's actions, to the actions that we have on this life 
There are always consequences. Now, this can be completely neutral. This could be a good thing or this could be a bad thing. In your life, if you decide, um, you know, I'm going to wake up in the morning every day and I'm going to work out. I'm going to work out from 6 to 7.30, something like that. There will be consequences for those actions and it'll be a good consequence. You'll start, you know, seeing overall improvement in your uh, fitness, maybe all overall improvement in your health. Maybe all like you sleep better. Maybe you're like more awake when you go to school at eight or whatever. But on the other hand, if you decide I'm going to wake up at six in the morning and go through the Taco Bell drive-through for a wonderful, beautiful breakfast crunch wrap every single day. You're going to see consequences for that action. And it's not going to be anything like working out every morning. It's going to be negative consequences, right? You get to third or fourth period and you're like, why do I have to go to the bathroom for the sixth time today? This is not great. This is not a great situation. So every action that you and I have, good or bad, will have a consequence. And so we read verses like verse 12 and we think, okay, so now the Lord allowed us to have our hearts tied down in hard labor. Is that because God's mean? Is that because God doesn't love us? Is that because God got so angry at us for our sin that he subjected us to this? I'll say this. There are always consequences for your actions and there's always consequences for your sin. Our sinfulness has consequences. God in his holiness cannot be in the presence of sinfulness. And on the consequences of sinfulness is separating and being further connected from God and being separated from God. And so the question is, um, you know, you read passages like this and think of this hard labor, this toil, this thing that we endure, this difficult to, difficulty that we endure, and we think, is everything bad that is happening to me a result of my sinfulness? I would say to that question, no. I would say that it is probably not that. But does every sinful action that you and I do have a negative outcome? I would say absolutely. So everything bad that's ever happened to me in my life, is that because of my own sinfulness? I would say probably not. But in your life, every time that you have chosen to willingly sin, choose to uh, see God's word where it says to be loving towards others and you choose to reject that and be selfish and want your way over others. Every time in God's word where it says uh, bring peace and to strive for unity and you've decided to completely separate yourself from that when God has laid out boundaries for uh, physical and emotional connectedness to other people and you rebel against that, there will always be negative consequences. Always. There is always that. So this hard labor, we see this and we know that rebellion against God leads to bondage. God doesn't desire this. God doesn't have us stay here. But this is the reality of when we choose to sin in our lives. Because the weight of sin is heavy. The weight of shame is too much. The crushing rebellion against God will crush our souls. The loneliness that comes with uh, rejecting God's counsel is great. But the Lord is, first of all, holy. Holiness means to be separate, to be completely separate from other things. So when it says God is holy and he is made holy and he tells us to be holy like him, it is this reference to him being completely separate from any sinfulness, from any wrongdoing, and actually any understanding of goodness. God is completely different and far above that. 
And so in our rebellion, he allowed us to face the consequences of our sin. If you're a Christian in the room, then you probably remember the moment where you knew that you needed Jesus. Many people in this room remembered the moment when they knew I'm done with my sinful ways. I'm done with this life that I'm pursuing. I need Jesus. And in that exact moment, so many people have described to me personally that thing being a crushing weight. That moment right before that time in their lives or maybe the moment they recognized they needed Jesus, they were in a spot in their lives where they were facing some sort of affliction. They were facing some sort of crushing labor because the weight of sin is hard labor. The weight of shame is hard labor. The weight of enduring that shame and trying to carry that shame and trying to justify ourselves and our sinfulness, that is hard labor. And you might read this and think, okay, I've rebelled against God. Where does the story get good? Because this is really weighing down on my heart. Look down at verse 13. So we're found in this spot in the darkness, in the shadow of death, you know, prisoners, this idea of being physically bonded in irons and affliction, stuck in the darkness, toiling, sweating in pain, needing help, needing assistance. This is where verse 13 uh, shows us the light. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works in the children of men, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Though rebellion is where we were found, that is not where we would stay if we would do one thing, and that is repent. Because repentance leads to freedom, is your second point in what verses 13 through 16 show us. Repentance leads to freedom. Verse 13 is the same as verse 6, like I mentioned, verse, and verse 19 and verse 28. There's four different descriptions in Psalm 107 of people turning from God. All of these references, some wandered in the desert, some sat in darkness, some went down to the sea in ships, and some were fools through their sinful ways. So it's all these references through this uh, chapter to people rebelling, to people turning, from people uh, going away. But the same exact verse is also found in these stories, and that's verse 13. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. The call to repentance is all throughout this chapter. And the call to repentance is a call to freedom. The call to repentance is a call towards the light. A call to repentance is a call to permanent joy and satisfaction. The call to repentance is a call to deliverance because it always leads us to Jesus if it's true repentance. What does that word mean? That word means exactly what verse 13 says. They cry out to the Lord in their trouble. To repent from something is to completely change your mind. To think differently about something. It's not even to recognize sinfulness is not repentance, right? You may know that you have a selfishness problem or a pride problem or a problem with lust. You may have gotten to that spot in your life where you're like, all right, I know that's bad. But repentance isn't just acknowledging that it's a problem, saying, okay, I know I have it. No, repentance is what verse 13 says. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them. 
It's changing your mind entirely and recognizing the only way you can overcome that sin is through the power of Christ, through Jesus, through the Savior, to the one who hears you in your trouble, to the one who is near in the trouble, to the one who would rescue you and redeem you from trouble. Repentance leads to freedom. Maybe your fruitless efforts in trying harder on your own to release yourself from your sinful patterns is actually bringing you to more frustrating bondage. Maybe your constant denial of your patterns of sinfulness is causing you more distress. And maybe the secret rebellion against God's law, the one that you hide from your friends and family, is producing a guilt that feels like what verse 10 says is a shadow of death looming beyond you. But that's not where you and I have to stay because the weight of that is heavy. But verse 13 says, they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from distress. There's a beautiful moment in the gospels where Jesus says this thing. He says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. He also says this other thing. Come all those who labor, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. There's a reference to Jesus saying, hey, I'm true restfulness. Come to me, join me, be, dwell with me, because the thing that I require of you, I'm not going to uh, put you in bondage. I'm not going to put you in more shame. Come to me because there's rest and there is this overwhelming sense of things just being lighter, of bondage being taken away, of things that would tie us down and keep us in heaviness to be completely eliminated. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. Come to me, all who labor. Come to me, all who are weak. So the words of Jesus. Verse 14, he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. There's continuing in this uh, passage here, this idea of repentance leading to freedom. I couldn't help but think about the story of the Israelites, God's people. God's people were physically bonded in chains in the form of slavery the people of God were, um, you know, the group, the group that God had said um, are holy or, to, or should have been holy and separated and, and set apart from the world are actually in captivity in Egypt for hundreds of years. And they are under that oppression, under that iron uh, rule, under that affliction, facing the shadow of death constantly. But God chooses to rescue and to redeem his people out of that situation. And in the story of that rescue, the Lord sends plagues to the people, to the oppressors of Israel. And right before the final, right before the final uh, judgment, we see God's people being delivered out of Egypt. And I couldn't help but think of that when I read verse 14. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds apart. There's so many times in life where we feel like we're tied up in something that we don't want to be stuck in anymore. Maybe it's a sinful pattern. Maybe it's a friendship or relationship that's gone south, and you know that that person just brings you to a bad place. 
anything that you face in this life, whether it be old pattern, old sinful routine, old person that is bringing you to a place that you don't want to stay at anymore, none of those things are more powerful than the steadfast love of the Lord. None of those things are more powerful than Jesus. None of those things are more powerful than the love that Christ offers and the redemption and the rescue that he is willing to bring to you if you would be willing to cry out to him. If you would be willing to say, like in verse 13, Lord, I'm in trouble. Can you deliver me from my distress? Lord, I found myself in a sinful pattern. Would you deliver me again from this distress? Because rebellion, of course, leads to bondage, tightening those chains, wrapping yourselves in sinfulness is just like going back to this old sinful pattern is just putting yourself back in shackles, putting yourself back under this uh, oppression, but returning to the Lord in repentance always leads to freedom. It always leads to freedom in your life. This is why Christians get to live with a unique sense of joyfulness. This is why we get to operate with this unique sense of thankfulness to God is because we used to be under chains and oppression. We used to be stuck with our own sinful desires, but now the Lord has brought us out. So oftentimes in life when we try and go back to those sinful patterns, return to those wicked ways, the Lord is still there to pull us out. Because if you ask any Christian in this room, you know that when you get saved, when you embrace Jesus in faith, You are justified. You don't have to worry about losing that salvation, but there will still be things that seem to rear their ugly head. Things you thought maybe you had dealt with come back and return. Things that were difficult seem to just pop up and your old way of reacting just kind of snaps back into things. But if we would still be willing to do what we had to do in the first place to repent and turn to God, God will always deliver us from that Affliction. God will always deliver us from that pain. And so many of you may hear that and think, okay, yes, I understand that, Noah. I know that's the textbook answer, but you don't understand my situation. You don't know the thing that I've gone through or the thing that I've done. I promise you, true repentance will always be met with acceptance and steadfast love from the Lord. Always. True repentance will always be met with acceptance from God and steadfast love from him every single time. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and he burst their bonds apart. How are you viewing sin? How are you looking at sinfulness? I say this all the time. Sometimes we look like, we look at sin and we think, okay, it's just like a little bit less good than what I'm supposed to be doing. But like, if I'm good at like 90% of the things I do in life, maybe like the 10% I can just kind of be like, you know, I, I, God, I'm sure he forgive me. Jesus has forgiven me from all my sins. No. How are you viewing sinfulness? Because the words on these pages are very specific. The shadow of death, right? This isn't hyperbole. This isn't just some sort of like, oh, you know, the Bible, it exaggerates all the time. No, this is the reality of what sinfulness is. How are you viewing sin? And more importantly, how are you viewing your Savior? Because when you view sin appropriately, we also must view Jesus appropriately. The one who bursts those bonds apart, who breaks those chains, the one who tears down what verse 16 says, the bars of iron and the doors of bronze. How are you viewing that Savior? 
because that Savior Jesus is always there to do that. If it was never your own good works, if it was never your own uh, trying to be righteous, if it was never your own work that got you to the point where you burst your own chains apart, why would it ever in the future be that? Why would there ever be a time in your life after Christ, finding Christ, thinking, okay, well, I'm struggling with this. I just need to uh, double down on my accountability or I just need to double down on uh, my kind of determination. No, if it was never that in the first place, why would it ever be that in the future? It always must be Christ. It, almost, it must always be the one who breaks apart those chains. It must always be the one who redeems us out of the darkness. May it always be him that we turn to in repentance to experience the freedom that you and I desperately need. Don't wander back. Don't look at it differently and think, all right, you know, it's not that bad. Don't wander I like that there's four different types of people, four different types of people in Psalm 107, crying out to the Lord, like we mentioned. All four people cry out and are saved. And then all four people respond with worship. Verse 15 says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works from the children of men. For he shatters the doors of bronze and he cuts into the bars of iron. The steadfast love of the Lord remains the same and our response, whether it be from our own sinfulness, whether it be being distracted from the world, whether it be us trying to satisfy ourselves with other things, whatever it is that we get ourselves caught in, the steadfast love of the Lord and our response remain the same. The steadfast love of the Lord is the thing that we worship and we respond with passionate, clear, specific worship to God. Your plans will fail you. Your sinful patterns will entrap you. Your closest allies may betray you, but the steadfast love of the Lord will remain the same always in your life. If there's patterns that you're gravitating towards, that you're falling into, you never once have to think, okay, well, I've got myself caught up in this thing again. Maybe I should just stay here in this darkness. No, the call to repentance in verse 13 is always going to be the same. We will always be able to cry out to the Lord in your trouble. And if it is true repentance, it will always be met with steadfast love. Always, every time. The Lord's steadfast love remains the same. Him wanting to accept you and him inviting you in to this relationship and away from the things that would bring you death will always be consistent. It will always be consistent. He will always be there. And our response must be the same. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. We talked about that last week, this idea of thankfulness, right? You will talk about the things that you are thankful for. If you're thankful for your girlfriend, you won't shut up about her. If you're thankful for this brand new Xbox you got, you won't shut up about it. But we have to be reminded every single day of the steadfast love of the Lord and let that be the thing that we are most thankful for. When you walk into school, again, it breaks this, this cynical kind of, uh, you know, keep to yourself mentality that our culture sometimes wrestles with. When you are just thankful for the person of God, the connection you have with Jesus, that will shine bright to your classmates, to your family, to your friends. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. You have to ask yourself, has Christ done anything for me in my life? 
has he, has he changed my life? Has he changed my attitude? Am I different now because I know him and I'm walking closer with him? If the answer is yes, then let us be thankful. Let us express that thankfulness to God through song. Let us express that thankfulness to God in our lives. Let us express our thankfulness with the way we live our lives. May it overflow from our hearts because the story of being in bondage and being freed, it's more powerful than any other story that you might hear. The story of being lost and then being found, it's one of the most powerful stories you will ever hear. The story of being separated from love and others to being united is one of the most powerful stories you will ever hear. And all of this chapter is looping in different scenarios, but it's the same thing. It's rebellion, a call to repentance, and worship all the time. And what we need to be doing, we we need to accept the reality that we will sin, we will stray. We don't seek to do it. We don't just be like, okay, I guess it's going to happen, so might as well do it anyway. No, we don't do any of that. But we need to constantly be doing what? Repenting, crying out to the Lord, verse 13, cried to the Lord in their trouble, and verse 15, and thanking the Lord for his steadfast love for the works that he has done. We thank the Lord for what? His attributes, his steadfast love, and we also thank him for his actions. There's always reasons to praise the Lord. Think about that. His attributes and his actions, verse 13 and 16, show me. We thank him for his steadfast love. That's who he is. He can't be disconnected from his love. And for his wondrous works in the children of men, specifically for him shattering the doors of bronze and cutting two bars of iron. So this idea of being held under this iron bar, the Lord completely chopping that in half. All right, so his attributes and his actions those things literally will never change in your life. If God has done something in your life and in your heart, he's done it and it has remained the same, right? If the Lord saved you, it's not like, oh, he saved me, but like, I don't know, that was a long time ago. If it's like the the Lord has helped sanctify me with my anger and he's allowed me to experience peacefulness, the Lord has done that. That is always going to remain the same. His steadfast love, his consistent love for you, his care for you, his grace for you, all those things will always remain the same no matter what. And so our thankfulness to the Lord should never change. The action that he has done and is doing, we thank him for his uh, attributes, the person that he is, will never change. And so we thank him for it. Are you thankful? Are you responding to God in worship? When we worship the Lord, what we're doing, we are thinking about him. We are thinking about his attributes, his actions, and we are lifting him up. Just what, like what that song that we just sang was, Christ be magnified. To worship God is to simply magnify him, to tell him the things that he already knows, to willingly focus on him and to lift him high. We can worship God through song with our voices and our instruments. Uh, We can worship God when we serve him. We can worship God when we're working in our jobs, when we're working onto God and not onto man. We can worship and magnify Jesus and make him heard, make him visible, make him evident in your life if you've been redeemed, if you've been rescued. 
So oftentimes we think, okay, this sin is just impossible for me to overcome and it inhibits our worship. Why? Because we haven't repented. We've allowed these bondages and these chains to come back and we just think, man, I got nothing to be thankful for right now because I'm still stuck in this sinful pattern. But if we turn to God, if you would do this young person, I promise you, true repentance will always be met with steadfast love. And it will always and should always produce passionate, fervent, and thankful worship. Whether it be here on Wednesday nights, what we do, or whether it be in your life, it needs to be genuine. It needs to be loud. It needs to be evident. It needs to be true because the Lord is these things. He has done this for you. Where in your life has God loosened chains and broken bondage? Was there a sinful thing that you were stuck with? Was there a person that you were entangled with? And how did the Lord rescue you from that? I noticed, and I've noticed in my life and in my heart, remembering these things, not just being like, okay, that was a few years ago. That was really hard, but the Lord delivered from that. That's awesome. No, remembering those things regularly. It will fuel worship. It will fuel thankfulness. Returning to the Lord constantly will fuel worship and fuel thankfulness. It'll change your life. So where has he broken those chains? When was it? What was that like? Think about these things. Dwell on these things. Don't forget these things. They're too important. It's too precious. It's too personal. It's who God is. So remember those things. Dwell on these things. Return to these things when life gets hard. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they rebelled against the words of God and rejected the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down in hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, out of the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works in the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. That's who God is in your life. That's who he has always been. That's who he will always be. Don't willingly return to those chains of bondage. Don't willingly uh, just wander back into that darkness. Don't do that. But when and if you find yourself there again, return to the Lord and his steadfast love for you. He will always listen. He will always be there. True repentance will be met with steadfast love. And love is far more powerful. The love of Christ is far more powerful than any sinfulness you will find yourselves in. Remember that, hold fast to that. Let that fuel your worship and let that worship be the thing that defines you. Let it be the thing that fuels you to go throughout your schools, to go throughout life. Don't be apathetic to it. Don't forget about it. Don't think this is just something that has, you know, happens. Is it the top priority? Is it everything for you? The steadfast love of the Lord shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Are you thankful for that? And is that thankfulness fueling your worship and fueling your life? Let's pray together. God.